0: What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are in an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. From John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. Let me pray one more time for our time tonight before we get started. Dear Father, I pray that tonight as we open your word, as we hear from you, Father, that you would inflame our hearts to live for you. Father, I pray that you would Encourage us that you would give us hope, cause us to be able to endure. Father, I pray that you would help me to speak the truth that you have given us. Not any human wisdom of myself, but Father, that I would preach your word. Father, we pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were here for probably the last engage that we had together, you heard about uh, a little bit about the mission trip that I took to India about a year and a half ago now. And if you were here last engage, you, you heard that I was a little bit uh, curious or cautious. I really wanted to prepare myself for the food that I thought that I was going to have to eat when I was in India. And but it turned out that I didn't have to eat any strange food, and that was a blessing, but that wasn't the only thing that could have gone wrong, and in fact, that wasn't something that went wrong, because something else actually went wrong. Halfway through this mission trip, the missionary that I actually went with, his wife was pregnant. But she was in the States. And halfway through the missions trip that we were on in India, my first time leaving the country, his wife goes into labor. And so he has to leave. And I was there. It was me, him, and his dad. We were all three in India together. And so he said, hey, look, guys, you're going to have to stay here and finish the teaching that we promised this school that we would we would do this theological training we would do these classes we promised them can you guys stay and do it I'm gonna go back to the states and be with my wife and see our third child be born so of course we said we said yes go ahead but this was very unexpected and it was very troubling for me and when my wife heard about it it was actually very troubling for her because she knew firsthand how bad I was with directions. I could get lost in this town. I could get lost where I live, much less a foreign country. It it was pretty scary. But, But thankfully, the person that I was there with, my missionary friend's dad, was actually a military man, and he had traveled in foreign countries most of his life, so, so getting around for him would be no problem. All I had to do was trust him and listen to his direction. If I was going to make it to the end of that trip, I had to fully depend on his direction and listen to him. And it's in a similar way I want us to see tonight from John chapter 15 that since Jesus is the true vine, we must endure to the end by depending fully on him. If you want to write that down, since Jesus is the true vine, we must endure to the end by depending fully on him. And we're motivated by two things. If we're to endure to the end by depending fully on Jesus, we're motivated by two things tonight. And those two things are the promises of Jesus and the warnings of Jesus. But let's look first at the promises of Jesus. We find ourselves in John chapter 15, we're, we're really smack dab in the middle of what's often referred to as the farewell discourse. And so basically, this is just a series of teachings where Jesus is teaching his disciples and, and he's addressing them, knowing that he'll go to the cross. He, he's, he's teaching them, knowing what is to come. And, and so he's teaching them, preparing their hearts and their minds for betrayal for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus wants his disciples to endure to the end. Later in, in chapter 15, Jesus actually says that. He actually says that. He says, I'm telling you these things so that you endure to the end. So that always makes it easy for me in my study when I'm reading. I'm like, what does Jesus mean? He's like, oh, he just said it. Got my sermon. He wanted them to know that they would face persecution. And he also wanted them to know that he would send a helper. He would send the Holy Spirit so that they could endure to the end. And so that's kind of the context of of what's happening before and after chapter 15. But when we get to chapter 15, we see Jesus teaching his disciples using a metaphor. And it's this metaphor of a vine and branches. Let's read it. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does not, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit If you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full so at the beginning of chapter 15 and the beginning of verse 1 we actually see the structure of the metaphor, right? Jesus tells us that he is the true vine and his father is the vine dresser. And we'll come back to what Jesus means by him being the true vine, but for now, just know that he's setting himself up as the vine and his father as the vine dresser. And so you might hear that word vine dresser if you're not a gardener or into plants like me, you might wonder what is a vine dresser? But we see it in verse two. This is what the vine dresser does. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So so we have the structure here. We have the vine and the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. But then we see in verses four and five that the disciples of Christ are to abide in Christ the true vine, because the disciples in this metaphor are the branches. We know that Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples and, and not a crowd because he says that you are already clean. So he's, he's speaking to his followers, those that have received his message, that have received forgiveness. To them, Jesus says, abide. But what what exactly does it mean to abide, right? We've got this metaphor. Okay, I'm like a branch. Jesus is the vine. But what does it mean to abide in him? If we keep going, we, we see Jesus explain it. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So... Through the context of what Jesus is saying, we can understand that abiding in Jesus is a continual dependence on him for life and endurance. But we can't stop there because Jesus doesn't stop there. Because Jesus also doesn't just explain what abiding is, he also explains what happens when we abide in him first part of verse 5, we see that it leads to fruit. Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. So then the question comes to mind, if we're the branches, he's the vine, we produce fruit, what is the fruit? Well, Jesus says that the, the fruit here is evidence of being born again. It's evidence of being attached to the true vine. If you're attached to the true vine, you'll have fruit, and that fruit serves as evidence that you're attached to it. But if we keep going, verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So again, Jesus spells it out for us. But then Jesus, get even, Jesus gets even more specific. He says that, that the fruit is evidence, but if we look at what the fruit looks like, it's keeping the commandments of Jesus. And then the commandments of Jesus are summed up in one word, and that's love. Verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. But just when you think that, maybe the metaphor stops there. Jesus is done. it, It doesn't stop there. Because Jesus also tells us what the fruit leads to. And this is where, if we're thinking about The promises that should motivate us to endure to the end. These are the promises that we're motivated by. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is actually a repeated idea from from chapter 14. If you flipped over, you would see Jesus say, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But this first promise of Jesus, it, it kind of poses an issue for us, right? Verses like this can can be taken out of context, but also within our experience of praying to God for things and and not receiving them. Well, what does Jesus mean here? If I pray for a Lamborghini, I get it. But I think if we look at it in the context of the whole Bible, we we understand what Jesus is really saying here. So so really quickly, I'm going to read you a couple of verses from elsewhere so that we can take... This idea that Jesus is telling us, that Jesus is promising us, we can take it to heart. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, don't have to turn there, but you can maybe write down the reference. It says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So first we have to know that what Jesus is saying is also in the context of the will of God the Father. But James 4, chapter 3 helps us to rule out another kind of ask. It says this, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So if you ask in greed, that, that, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So in God's timing and in his will, not in your greed, you're given what you ask. You see, here we're saying that because of Jesus' place before the throne of God the Father, next to him, seated at his right hand, because of who Jesus is, and that he's gathered us in, to his family, through his death on the cross, we have access to the throne of God. Our our prayers make it to the ears of God the Father because of who Jesus is. Jesus promises our prayers are heard because of the access he grants us and they're answered if we abide in him. But secondly, the second promise we see that we have from Jesus is that if we have fruit, it actually leads to pruning. Verse 2, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Well, just like the vine dresser, you might not know exactly what pruning is. You're not allowed to quote Wikipedia in your college papers, but I can quote Wikipedia whenever I want. So Wikipedia says this, pruning is the selective removal of certain parts of a plant, such as branches, buds, or roots. The practice entails targeted removal of diseased, damaged, dead, non-productive, structurally unsound, or otherwise unwanted tissue from crop and landscape plants. And so in this metaphor, Jesus is saying he's promising you, if you're a true believer and if you have fruit, that this process will be undertaken in your life by God the Father. And sometimes as believers, as as those who are forgiven by God, we we often don't realize that God will still discipline us. He'll he'll still prune us. He'll he'll still cut those things out of our lives that he doesn't want there. But he's not doing it in judgment. He's doing it because we're fruitful. He's doing it because he loves us. He's doing it because we're connected to the true vine. This is why he cuts away the diseased, dead, unproductive parts of our lives. Sometimes it's painful, but it's for our good. God the Father prunes those who are connected to the true vine. But not only do we see that we hear that our prayers are answered and we hear that we will be pruned by God, Jesus also promises that having fruit leads to the glory of God and to the joy of God and to our joy. Verse 8 says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So so did you realize that when you walk in the commandments of Jesus, when you you walk in love, when you bear fruit in keeping with repentance, did, did you realize that God receives glory from your fruit? That's what Jesus says here. But look at verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Have you stopped to consider that in your sanctification, Jesus is filled with joy? Over every fruit that you bear, every fruitful dependence that you have on Him, Jesus is filled with joy over you. And then we get to one more sweeter truth. Not only is Jesus experiencing joy over your fruit, but He says that for his joy and for your joy. So your continual dependence on Jesus, the true vine, is for your joy and the joy of Jesus and the glory of God. What a beautiful picture of our sanctification. We're promised loving pruning from the Father. We're we're promised access to God's provision through Jesus. And we're promised joy. Wouldn't you abide in Jesus, the true vine? You know, when I was in high school... I wanted probably what, you know, most high schoolers, most teenagers want. I've given this illustration before, but I think it fits so well here. I, I wanted a car. And my parents told me that if I saved up a certain amount of money, they'd match it. And so, from that moment on, I literally saved every single penny that I could. I mean, my family would laugh at me because I ate every single meal at home. I wouldn't go out to eat, I wouldn't spend money on clothes, I wouldn't do anything but stuff this money in my mattress for a car. And, and why was I like this? Because I was motivated, right, by this promise that if I save up, I'm getting matched. I'm going to double what I save. And so when you're motivated by a promise, it often gives you the strength to endure all sorts of things. And really it's similar to what we see in this first part of John chapter 15. We must endure to the end by depending fully on Jesus, motivated by his promises. And one question that we might ask, though, when reading a passage like this, we know what the fruit is, we know what the vine is, we know what we're supposed to do, but you might ask practically every single day, like, give me something to do. What do I do to abide in Christ? How do I continually depend on Christ? If the promises motivate us to endure... What, what do we practically do with the motivation? And I think it really boils down to really a mindset that leads to actions. And the mindset that we are to have is that we have to continually recognize our need for Jesus in every aspect of our life. And, and that continual recognition leads to continually depend on him. And one way that this mindset affects our actions is that we, we pray more often, right? We, we would pray every time we feel anxious. We pray for every need that comes into our life. We pray and we're thanking God for every met need. 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 says that we should be praying without ceasing. And, and that's really what this means every challenge we encounter, every need we encounter, every difficult season we encounter, we depend continually on Jesus, on the grace of God to sustain us, on the true vine to invigorate us with life that we would continue to bear fruit. And and if we're going to pray, we heard verses on prayer earlier. If we're going to pray, we want to pray according to God's will. And if we want to know God's will, we have to be familiar with his word. And and not only familiar with his word, we, we have to realize that God's word is how he speaks to us, and it's how we're spiritually nourished and sustained. To be familiar with and fed by the word of God, something amazing has to happen. We have to actually read it, right? We have to read God's word if we want to continually abide in Christ. And listen, I am the type of guy who will get excited about anything for a week and then forget about it. So I understand how hard it is to really discipline yourself to continually read God's word. But, but if I could just offer you a tip, just find a time in your day, maybe when you're mindlessly scrolling, maybe when you're on break at work, maybe it's before you do anything, maybe it's at the very end of the day. For me, if I waited to the end of the day, I would, I would fall asleep. I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to do it. But just try to find a time during your day, during your week, where you can regularly read your Bible and pray. It's really simple, but over the course of your lifetime, it will change your life. It's a practical way to abide in Christ. Don't we depend on him for everything? Would we not read his words? But the second thing I want us to see is not only do we endure to the end by abiding in Christ, motivated by His promises, but we also endure to the end abiding in Christ, also motivated by His warnings. See, it wouldn't be faithful to only focus on the promises in this passage. Because in the very first verse, we see Jesus say, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. More strongly, Jesus says If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. And so we notice here that these warnings, they they seem to be given to two distinct groups of people. Jesus says, Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So what what, what does that mean? How can a... Branch in Jesus, not bear fruit. I mean, Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 6, verses 37 and through 39, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So how are we to understand that Jesus says that any vine, any branch that is in me that doesn't bear fruit is cast out? Well, I think what Jesus is doing here is similar to what he does in the parable of the sower. You can find that parable in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and essentially what Jesus says in the parable of the sower is that there are people who, who seem to believe for a season, but for various reasons, they fall away. Some people who seem really genuine, it, it, it later is revealed that they're not believers. The book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, puts it this way. They went out from us, but they were not of us, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So Jesus isn't teaching here that if you're truly saved, that you could just lose it. You stop bearing fruit, you're gone. But if you have no fruit, what Jesus is saying is that It's proving that you weren't a believer all along. And Jesus is saying here with this warning, be careful that you are actually a true disciple of me. He's saying, if you have no fruit, if you're not growing in obedience at all, you may not be a believer, And then we see the general warning for all who do not abide in Jesus. God's judgment. They're thrown away. The branch withers. The branches are gathered. And they're thrown in the fire. And so here in this verse, here in this chapter, Jesus presents an amazing promise, an amazing set of promises. And he also presents a sober warning. Abide in him, bear fruit and live, or don't abide in him and face judgment. Have you ever seen one of those electrical fences? Normally, you know when you see an electrical fence because it has a big yellow sign on it that says, do not touch, with a big voltage going through it, right? It's pretty scary. And it makes perfect sense that if you own an electrical fence, you're usually legally required to have some sort of sign on it, right? That says, this fence is electric. Because people can't just walk up to it and lean up against it thinking it's a regular fence and just get shocked, right? That that would be terrible. And although there's no law governing God that he would have to warn us of his judgment in his kindness and in his mercy, he does. He says, abide in me. And in Luke 15 we see that we must endure to the end by depending fully on him, on Jesus, motivated by his promises and motivated by his warnings. But so how do we, how do we apply a warning passage to our lives as believers? Well, I think one way to do it is to be continuously throughout our lives, really, really examining our lives, examining our walk, checking for fruit in our lives. In this area, have I grown? How have I grown in the past 10 years? How have I grown in the past five years? What has my life looked like since I became a Christian? And it's not in a way of where you're trying to justify yourself by your works, but it's really a way of saying, am I abiding in Christ? Are you more mature as a believer than when you first believed? I mean, one thing Jesus emphasizes to his disciples over and over again in the gospels is this idea of fruit, good fruit coming from a good tree, It's just evidence. It's not what saves you. It's evidence of your salvation. What Jesus is saying is you can't be a follower of mine and not be changed in some way or shape or form. And and listen to me. Every single Christian has seasons of, of failure and discouragement and even sin that is hard to fight But if you're not fighting and there's zero growth, zero change, zero repentance, that that means something is wrong. And, And Jesus is saying that really we need to be in a place where we can say, man, I'm seeing evidence of the Lord working in my life in this area. And, and he's promising us that those things are glorifying to God. They bring Jesus joy. They'll bring us joy. Listen, when, when you do this and you reflect on your life and the ways that God has grown you and, and the fruit that you see, it will produce a joy in your soul. Th- this isn't a litmus test to see if you're good enough. It's just to see, am I connected to the vine? But anyway... If you're not a believer, this is pretty straightforward, right? We have a warning from Jesus that to reject him is to reject life and to embrace judgment. Sometimes we hear people pit the Old Testament and the New Testament against each other, like they're really different and we wish we didn't have the Old Testament. Like they contradict each other and, and, and they make it seem as if Jesus never spoke about judgment. But, but that simply isn't true, is it? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. They're one in love, one in justice, one in holiness, one in grace, one in righteousness, And one in mercy. And and Jesus, here we see, is warning us of judgment just as seriously as you would read anywhere else in the Bible. But as we close, I want us to consider something that really should overarch this passage. Because remember, I said that Jesus said that he was the true vine. He calls himself the true vine. So it kind of makes you think, if he's the true vine, is there some sort of other vine? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 80. Psalm chapter 80, verse 7, says this. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see have regard for this vine the stock that your right hand planted and for the son whom you have made strong for yourself they have burned it with fire they have cut it down may they perish at the rebuke of your face but let your hand be on the man of your right hand the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself then we shall not turn back from you give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And so in Psalm 80, we see that the vine that was rejected was Israel because Israel had forsaken their God. God gave this vine over to destruction. And the psalmist asked God to send the promised savior, the son of man who sits at his right hand. Don't let your vine be plucked forever, God. And what does Jesus say when he comes? I am the true vine, abide in me. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for providing your Son who is the true Israel, who is the true Son of God, who is the true vine, that if we would repent and believe in Him, we could be saved from judgment and we could find joy in the fruit that you produce in our lives. That we could look upon the face of Jesus, that we would bring him joy. That we could glorify this great God who made us to glorify him. Father, we pray that those who are not abiding in you would find their source of life in continual dependence on your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that for those who are abiding in you now that you would help us to endure to the end, being strengthened by your promises and heeding your warnings, Father. We pray and we ask all these things. In the name of the true vine, in the name of Jesus, amen.